afternoon. You are listening to Dawn Land Signals on WERU-FM. Dawn Land Signals is a monthly talk show where we hold space for critical conversations of truth, healing, and change here in the Dawn Land. We explore topics such as restorative justice, restorative practices, decolonization, cultural revival, and more. Our guests are people involved in aspects of truth, healing, and change work. This program is offered in an effort to share, inspire, and inform. Dawnland Signals is a collaboration of Wabanaki Reach and WERU-FM. I am your co-host, Maria Gerard. I am your co-host, Esther Ann. The Penobscot Nation judicial system was established on September 27th. 1979 by Penobscot Nation General Meeting. The judicial system is comprised of a tribal court and the a trial court, excuse me, and the tribal court, which includes an adult healing to wellness court. The mission of the Penobscot Nation Healing to Wellness Court is to combine the judicial oversight and powers of the court with local healing and wellness services to better address any and all underlying or co-occurring substance or mental health issues of court-involved individuals. Their webpage describes, quote, weaving cultural connections, unquote, into what has historically been called drug court. Uh, we're excited to have our guests here today, but before we welcome them, we want to start with uh, an appreciation of the land. Thanks, Esther. Yes, let's just take a moment to pause and to acknowledge the land beneath our feet, Wabanaki, the land of the first light, the dawn land, land that has known Wabanaki ancestors, the tallest trees and the oldest rivers, land that has known peace and conflict land that has nourished us and sustained us since time immemorial. We acknowledge the indigenous peoples of this land, Wabanaki, the Passamaquoddy, Penobscot, Mi'kmaq, Maliseet, and Abenaki. And we give thanks to you and your stewardship and resilience. We are broadcasting from WERU studio in Blue Hill, Alamusik, Wabanaki. Thank you, Maria. And this is Esther. Um, we, you are listening to Dawnland Signals today, and we're talking about Healing to Wellness Court, a model for restorative justice. And we have special guests with us today from the Penobscot Nation Tribal Court, Rhonda DeConti, who's Penobscot and Algonquin. She's formerly the clerk of courts. Now she's the magistrate judge. And we have Judge Eric Maynard, the chief judge of Penobscot Nation Tribal Court with us today. Uh, both of them were instrumental in conceptualizing and developing the Penobscot Nation Adult Healing to Wellness Court. And we're so glad to have you here today, especially since our January show, we kicked off the year with a show about um, the road to recovery. And we had a couple of guests that talked about their experience. So this is a a wonderful follow-up to that, a natural progression. 
So <clears throat> welcome. What I'll have I'll let each of you go. You can um, probably have Rhonda go first and, and you know talk more. You can share more of an introduction. And um, you know, we'll start talking about how the concept for a heal into wellness court, where it came from. Okay, thank you, Esther. So um, my name is Rhonda and I um, was born in um, Canada. I've spent about half or more than half my life now um, residing on Indian Island. And I came to the tribal court in 2011, a little, um, I guess I could say I was hesitant. <laughs> and uh, when I was first approached um, about taking a position as the deputy clerk, I thought to myself and I said, you know, out loud, why do I want to work for a place that, you know, it's dark, it's scary, and nobody wants to go there. And at that time, we were located in the corner um, back area of the community building, and there was very dim lighting. You know, um, you only went there if you absolutely had to. And um, I said, okay, I'll, I'll um, you know, go in. I, I spoke with our chief judge, Eric Maynard, and he talked a lot about what he would like to see for the court as far as problem solving. So when he started to talk about that, something just clicked in my brain to say, okay, this is where you need to be. And when you take your core values, your traditions, your education, your schooling, and you want to bring and use all those tools to help your, um, your members, uh, your relatives, this is where I needed to be. Now, was it where I thought I would be? Absolutely not. Am I glad that I took the chance and that they took the chance on hiring me? Absolutely, yes. Um, being at tribal court has been um, life-changing and I get to do a lot of um, outside of the box thinking, um, problem solving, incorporating culture and tradition into a court system. So how neat is that? Um, typically, you know, when you're involved in the court, you may feel that your voice is not heard. And that's not how it is at Penobscot Tribal Court. Your voice is heard. And with that, I will turn it to Judge Bader. No, thank you so much for inviting us on. Um, I was, first came to the uh, Tribal Court in 2008 uh, when I was appointed by the, the Chief and Council. They had said to me, um, Okay, you're appointed, um, but we've seen how an Anglo court works. $350 fine, next, $350 fine, next, $350 fine, next. That's not what we want. We'd like a problem-solving court. I said, well, okay, great. Um, so, Chief, exactly what do you mean by problem-solving court? And he said, raised an eyebrow, looked at me and said, figure out what the problem is and solve it. And that really was the beginning of a journey to me that um, 
I have to say, changed my life. I, I had come from a background where I had done civil rights litigation in the federal courts. I had been the chief prosecutor for the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination, overseen 45 investigators and 15 attorneys and prosecuted discrimination actions, all highly adversarial, highly, highly adversarial. Um, and coming to the Penobscot Tribal Court was an opportunity to use the law to actually make a difference for people. And it was, uh, it was a life-changing experience. And one, I tell everyone, I've had some great jobs. This is far and away the best job I've ever had. It, is, um, it has been the greatest place for me. So we started the, the wellness court using a model that was first developed by the National Association of Drug Court Professionals. Um, and that came out of Miami in the late 80s, late 90s, um, and was a model that was originally developed there. And then it was modified by the Tribal Law and Policy Institute that um, started laid out, there are 10 key components, and it laid out the, the key components to make them more uh, tribally culturally aware. So when we first started, we set it up like a traditional Anglo court. There was a prosecutor's table, a defense table, and um, I would do what's called a colloquy with the individual, the participant who came in saying, how are you today? Tell us what's going on with you, and to, ha to have a uh, colloquy with that. And after a little bit, Rhonda came to me and she said, uh, hey, judge, is there any reason why we have the tables here? And I said, well, I don't really know. And she said, well, um, that's not really relevant. And it's hard for the, the participants. They're trying to crane around their necks and look at the other people in the back of the courtroom when they're speaking. Can't we take the tables out? And I said, I guess so. After that, there was a whole list of things that she started to progress with. And I'm going to ask her to speak more about um, all of the different things that she developed in the wellness court. So I love that. I just wanted to interject real quick that I really liked, Rhonda, in the beginning when you were talking about um, that concept of bringing your whole self uh, into your work. And um, and also that you mentioned our our relatives. And so and just thinking about how this Anglo court model wasn't um, desired, you know, that we have a different way of doing things, um, you know, in the tribal communities where we really acknowledge our, our connections and our relations like that. So I, I liked that um, part of the story. Thanks. Absolutely. Um, so like I said, when I first started, I was a deputy court clerk. So I would go in, I was the, um, you know, person you would see um, typing away what's going on at, at the court session. And when Healing to Wellness was brought, I um, didn't really, um, I, I wasn't aware of what it was. Um, so quickly had to learn um, what the goal was. And, you know, through other trainings that I attended to really got invested because I really wanted to see this become our own um, specialty court. So when I was sitting there and watching things and I'm like, I see a participant standing, trying to show respect to the judge, but also trying to listen to an elder behind him, 
talking and acknowledging her. So he was in this limbo. And that's when I was like, we need to move these tables. Like we need to sit in a circle. We need to be together. And in, as we know, when we're in that circle, there's healing in the circle. And that's what we're here for. It's healing to wellness. So that was, I think, the first change that we made. Um, then we started incorporating smudging. We started incorporating a prayer. We started incorporating some drumming. Um, and then it was later on that um, everybody's voice in the circle was heard because what we would do is let the team members speak, the participants spoke, but the participants didn't share with each other. That was later um, very crucial because that built a culture of community. And within that um, builds ties, builds connections. And this is what our participants are, are striving for, building healthy relationships, healthy connections. Um, then, you know, within time, we started, um, I remember our first graduation at the time we called it when somebody finished the program and it was me, the chief judge, the uh, public defender and prosecutor and the director who, who acted as the case manager. And I think we said, okay, you graduated, you finished. <laughs> we'll see you later, you know, and that was it. And then I was like, okay, can we have food? Can we, you know, make this, uh, have a big drum. Can we, you know, do all these other things? And, and of course that built over time. And now we had our last commencement ceremony on March 13th, um, 2020. And I'll never forget it because that was the day when I received the news that we were going into this shutdown. And so I had to hear this news and then come to work and prepare and facilitate a commencement ceremony that, you know, has the big drum, has food, has um, family members, has all sorts of things um, that need to be timed out precisely. So as I'm doing that, how we typically end our, our ceremony is through a hug circle, but we couldn't hug. And we, we weren't supposed to like touch each other, right? That's when we first got that information. So what I did instead of doing that, we did the mosquito dance with each other. Oh, I love so, that. Yeah, and it was really fun. So, you know, um, it, it uh, you know, incorporated one of our, you know, practices. And we were still able to end in a good way. Well, I was thinking that, um, you know, it sounded so nice with the, you know, building the culture of community and the smudging, the drumming and the food. It's probably the only time that a participant doesn't want to leave. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine people would want to stay in that connection. And actually, Marie, Marie with that, you hit on one of the, the key components to the wellness court. We look at the wellness court and go, there are four key components to the, the healing to wellness court. The first is the, the 
behavior that brings an individual to court isn't the problem. The substance abuse isn't the problem. The problem is uh, unresolved trauma, personal, historical, or both, that needs to be addressed. And the second is you never change behavior with negative reinforcement, only with positive reinforcement. Uh, it's B.F. Skinner from 1954. The third is it's, it's commitment, not compliance. Uh, someone has to be committed to getting well. And the fourth is what you were hitting on, alienation drives addiction. That as an individual feels alienated from um, the culture and community, um, that, that feeling of being alone and separate leads to more self-medication. And so, uh, in fact, the, the, there is data out there that, that uh, has been done by uh, Rod Robinson in, in the Reduction Recidivism Initiative, uh, uh, Rod being Northern Cheyenne, that says uh, culture is the number one protective factor for individuals in recovery. If they, can, if they can regain their ties with the community and the culture, that is a number one protective factor in ensuring that they are not uh, at further risk. I believe that. Um, I would just happen to be reading this article in the National Alliance of Mental Illness today um, called The Importance of Community in Indigenous Peoples Healing. And it says community is a pillar of identity for Indigenous peoples. It is coming together for ceremony, for mourning, for celebration, for gratitude, for harvest, for support, for everything. So I like that quote. Um, <clears throat> you are listening to Dawnland Signals on WERU. Today we're talking about Healing to Wellness Court, a model for restorative justice with the guests Rhonda DeConti, Penobscot Algonquin, Magistrate Judge for the Penobscot Nation Judicial System, and Judge Eric Maynard, Chief Judge. They are sharing their experiences around developing culturally aligned methods of addressing drug-related offenses. And we were just talking about um, connection as the antidote to um, addiction and those four points, um, four components of the Healing to Wellness Court. I've heard you both speak before about the Healing to Wellness Court, and I feel like I have so many questions that I want to, to ask. Um, but I was, I guess I'll, I'll ask about uh, the levels of participation. I think, Rhonda, you had uh, mentioned it uh, when you spoke last about the, there being various levels of participation and that um, is the, the ceremony is no longer called a graduation ceremony. It's something different now. And did you want to speak a little bit about that? Well, I think that was more to Judge Maynard's uh, recommendation of, you know, graduation, it's, it's one and done, right? And, and we changed it to a commencement ceremony and um, just really trying to emphasize that once you graduate from this program, you know, your, your sobriety, your healing, your wellness, that's a continuation that's lifelong. You know, it's not only when you're, you're with us, but um, I did want to say, so a lot of the activities, a lot of the things that um, I've done, people have asked me from other places like, oh, where did you come up with that or whatever? And, and I say, it's what we do. You know, it's a part of who, this is how I grew up. And when I say that, like, I, I took a lot of what I learned 
Um, my dad was in long-term recovery. And so I would see him um, weaving, you know, AA with also um, a sweat lodge ceremony. I would see him weaving um, some drumming, some singing, some other being out on the land, um, doing things with um, folks to bring them back to to our old practices. Because a lot of times, especially when you're not uh, residing near near your community, um, you get disconnected from those things. So. Growing up, I went to a lot of different um, events with him. I got to see firsthand how he did that. And so for me, it was just kind of second nature, like this, this is, uh, or first nature, this is what we should um, try and, and see how it works. So I don't think any of my recommendations have been uh, denied. I'm just looking at judge to make sure I none have, but um one of the things too is uh is bringing them out on the land is it's really important and and you know a lot of folks haven't gone sweetgrass gathering a lot of folks haven't um picked fiddleheads and and that's one thing i want to do this year um and gaining that knowledge and and anytime we can incorporate food or or what have you i i really want to strive to you know, do better and and with these less restrictions, um, I just see the opportunity, you know, to do more events um, this year because we couldn't the past two years, you know, just kind of uh, elevate in in that area. Rhonda, maybe you can talk a little bit more about the days changes too. Okay. So that goes back to my clerking days and uh, the model for wellness court for drug court. It's a four phase approach. And um, those phases, you know, I, I would see participants. OK, you're in phase two. And, um, you know, I kind of sat there and I'm like, geez, well, what does that mean? So when my sister was the case manager here, we, we sat down. We looked at our medicines and we replaced the um, medicine with a phase. So the first phase is tobacco. And that's your introduction, your education, detoxification, and beginning the actual program. And we know that uh, tobacco is, is our first medicine, our first gift, that Eastern. Um, so we applied it to that. Then we went to cedar. That's uh, personal responsibility and stabilization and treatment. We went to SAGE, which was cooperative and accountability and maintenance. And then Sweetgrass, which is the completion and continuing of wellness. Um, I think when you incorporate those things to say, hey, I'm in tobacco, you're in cedar, what can I expect? You know what I mean? There's just more of um, uh, a connection as opposed to, okay, I'm in phase one and, and you're in four. You know, what does that mean? Well, and the other thing that. we did with that was also um, giving the medicines at the. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you. 
So um, with that, uh, at each phase, I give them, I'll make a tobacco tie. I'll do a, a cedar bundle and in, in, um, some sage and sweetgrass. And, and then at the commencement ceremony, they regain the medicines with a uh, abalone shell um, with some other gifts that we're able to, uh, to give them as well. I really like that. Um, and I really like your um, response to people, Rhonda, when they're asking, you know, how did you do this? And it's like, you know, uh, reinforcing that everybody, you know, has the agency to do this and just to look at your look at who you are and look at what you already do. That's such good advice. And just naturally incorporating the teachings into to what you do that, you know, it seems like oftentimes there's these conversations about, you know, how do we how do we teach, you know, culture? How do we, um, you know, people who have been away from communities, how do they learn about uh, these different teachings? And just to be able to um, incorporate it so naturally into what you're doing, um, what a blessing that is. People have that information. I'm wondering um, if there's any sorts of um, particular experiences that, you are able to share about um, your your years of involvement with um, the Healing to Wellness Court. Is there any particular story that stands out for you or any particular experience? There are a lot. One of the first ones that stand out was the learning experience about trauma. Um, Rhonda, we had an individual who would come into the wellness court and they'd have their hoodie up and I'd have to say, sir, please take your hoodie down. And I'd say, how are you today? And fine, and not very communicative. And one of the things that we do in the wellness court is a case manager meets with the participants three times a week and they take case notes. So we, we have a running record of where they are. They're tested three times a week in the tobacco phase. And we so we know what's going on with them for the most part. But at the bottom of those case notes, I would get what's called the Terrasoft warning. Uh, the Tarasoft warning is a warning that um, psychologists and, and social workers have to give to somebody if they've been their life has been threatened. And at the bottom of the case management report, I would get this individual continues to harbor homicidal ideation towards the judge on, on them. Um, and that went on for a period of time. And then I'm going to let Rhonda take over the story from there. Yeah, so when you're told that and, you know, you're not directly meeting with the participant, you know, um, it, it kind of, uh, I don't know, puts a little barrier up. And so one day I was leaving work and um, I saw the individual and, and I saw a child on a bike and I slowed right down because I saw the individual approach this child. And I'm like, oh, geez, what's going to happen? You know, I have somebody who is, you know, saying he wants to hurt the judge and he's approaching a child. Those are the thoughts that are running through my mind. And as I watched him, he knelt down and he put the chain on this young man's bike. And I just turned right around and I went right back to work. I went right back into uh, judges chambers and, and told him what I just saw. And I'm like, this person, you know, is not who we think 
um, he is. And, and with time and um, he was able to open up, um, he was able to, to commence. And um, so just kind of like, you know, it really, really eye opened, you know, where individual can be, but what, who they really are. That's you a know, great story. Thank you. I like it. When you were talking, Rhonda, about um, sweetgrass picking, and I was thinking about connection and that connection with each other as community, but also that connection to the medicines and, and that, but to the land as well. And you talked about food and it's just, it's, it um, weaves into every, almost like all these other aspects of our lives, right? Um, the same thing with child welfare, they kind of touch, you pull on that thread and it touches all these other systems. And that rip, I just keep thinking, I just learned about ripple effect mapping. So I keep thinking about ripple effects <laughs> and I'm thinking the ripple effects of this are, are pretty great. And, and as you say, it, it touches um, on a number of different areas. What, what we run at Penobscot is what's called the braided services approach. So every other Wednesday, we have a uh, team meeting and we are extraordinarily fortunate. The, the directors and uh, individuals that are, are working in the area um, are extremely giving. They come to all of our team meetings. It includes the director of behavioral health, the, the IHS doctor sits on the team, substance abuse counselor and elder, prosecutor, public defender, uh, Department of Social Services. And that's what really triggered my thought with what you were talking about, Esther Ann, is that um, what we really try and do, we know that, that when families start to find themselves at risk, one of the, the factors that can occur is because one of the parents or both of the parents um, may be using substances. And so what we look at is how do we, the, the Department of Social Services has a, a rehabilitation reunification plan. And then the wellness court has a, a wellness plan. We're very fortunate that the case manager from the, the Department of Social Services and the director of social services works with our case manager so that we braid together a treatment plan for that individual why they're in the wellness court so that we're meeting their needs where they are and helping them get um, the challenges that might present themselves in a, in a child protective matter uh, we're trying to get rid of them those challenges and and uh, so that they're not facing them anymore and we have a number of people who come into the program who are actually facing child protective proceedings and then we're able to reunify as part of the, the program they're in at the wellness court with the child protective uh, services plan. Wonderful. Yeah, and that, that would be um, children in tribal, that through tribal court, right? I, I'm wondering, has, has this been able to impact people that are involved with ICWA cases with the state, maybe have a state child welfare case and, has the um, the court been able to coordinate with the state on those kind of cases too? Yeah, um, the, we do two things. ICWA, we we have taken anytime there is a a request made by a parent or by the department, the Penobscot Nation now has, the tribal court will take that case. Always will take that referral anytime it comes. Um, 
And there have been a number of cases. And one of the interesting things that we see here that, that is a little bit unique is um, there are times when a parent is in trouble in the state court system, either criminally or in, an, in a, a child protective case in the state court system. And part of the, usually it's a criminal case, they, the state court will say, um, okay, as part of your sentence, um, we are going to reduce your criminal sentence, but your term, one of your terms of probation is that you have to apply for and be admitted to the Penobscot Nation Healing to Wellness Court. And so we make sure that the two sovereigns step, uh, stay separate that the, the state court doesn't have any ability to tell the tribal court what to do, um, but that we do have some collaboration. Um, we've seen that cross over into child protective areas as well. Um, not specifically with child protective, but with parents who are involved in the criminal justice system in the state court that have a child protective case in the state court. I was, um, I was also thinking, um, about you know what what's next um so you've developed this this wonderful model of healing to wellness court and um are there any other plans to expand um the adult uh healing to wellness court um maybe also in the same question i know that you've also um been engaged in helping other tribes um, to establish courts. So I'm just um, wondering, like, what's what's next for, for you both? What's next? That's a good question. Um, so what we're looking to do is um, the mentorship or what was that called? To, to mentor other courts? No, the, um, we, we asked for... Um, the funding for somebody to be like a recovery coach. Yes. Yeah. So one of the things that we're looking to do is um, we currently operate, our funding comes out of uh, SAMHSA. Um, and one of the things that we're looking to do with that SAMHSA funding is to establish a mentor coach. Cause one of the, uh, as, as Rhonda has hit on one of the most powerful um the most powerful advisors that we find in the, the wellness court are the other participants, what they have to share. Um, and they, they've been there. They know what the individual is experiencing. Uniformly, they have been incredibly supportive um, of the, the process. And uh, we're looking to, to move that from a, the voluntary basis, which is in, within the wellness board, to establishing a position for an individual who has gone through the wellness board to be a mentor going forward and to be able to help individuals who are coming into the wellness board, understand what to expect from a participant's point of view and how to navigate it. Because it, it, be, it can be daunting when you're talking that you're spending 12 to 18 months in a program um, at the outset. It, it's helpful to have someone who's been there, knows it, and, and can explain it. Um, to your point, we we have worked, um, Rhonda, Donna Brown, uh, Rhonda's sister, Don, Rhonda herself, and I did some work and helped the Hopi establish their wellness board. 
uh, out in uh, Arizona. We also worked with a Lakutare band of Ojibwe in uh, northern Wisconsin. Uh, both of those courts are up and running. Um, we come in and we do a mentor. We set work, work with them side by side. The really interesting thing was working with, and it's important to understand the the, the um, differences within the, the, those court systems and, and those tribes. For us here, what I'm really hopeful for is, and I think Esther Ann, you talked about a little bit earlier, is to take the model, some of the, the best pieces of the model, the wellness court, and establish a um, an early intervention and for lack of a better word, call it a court, but it's not really a court. It's more of a family conferencing, but using the court as a lightning rod and the braided, because what we know is when we do this braided services approach, the ideas and support that we're able to bring to help individuals has been amazing. Um, what comes out of different departments and how different departments help has truly been uh, amazing. Um, and so we want to try and get down downstream before individuals actually end up in court on a preliminary protection order. And that's a big part of, of what we've asked Rhonda to do and take on as a new, as a magistrate judge, it would, that would be the court that we would ask her to, to oversee and start to run right from the get go. That's great. Um, I, I keep getting more questions in my head. <laughs> it's like so easy to run out of time. Like I keep jotting down, okay, which question am I going to ask? Um, I'm wondering about some of these family group conferencing or um, even <clears throat> maybe healing to wellness courts. I'm not sure. I've, I've read stuff about Canada. I'm not sure about the U.S., but have an, the restorative justice model includes a, like a circle of elders or advisors um, that kind of ha have as much weight as the court does in decisions or things like that. Have you... Any experience with those kind of models? We haven't. We've had experience. We, we are aware of the family group conferencing, but we really haven't seen the, the experience um, with, with the elders. I was aware of uh, at least what I thought I heard the Cree Nation did, which I thought was very interesting, um, which was when... Um, and when children were in jeopardy, they did not remove the children from the home. They actually removed the parents and said... Um, and they would bring in elders to take care of the children in the home. And then when the parents um, were no longer placing the children at risk, they, they came back. But it stopped the children from having the trauma. Removing children from homes is incredibly traumatic and yes. to be avoided at all costs. Um, so. Great. Um, and the other question I had, I know this is an adult healing to wellness court. What happens to... Um, you know, young people who are under 18, if they find themselves in in uh, in tribal court and facing, you know, maybe substance related charges. Um, that is the. We tried a juvenile wellness court modeled on the adult wellness court. And the challenge we found with that is when we put a juvenile into the program and said that they were going to spend 12 months in a program, they were you've sentenced me to life in jail. And, <laughs> and that, that really didn't work well for them. And so really what we're looking with is this, this early intervention court. And again, it would be something that, um, that I would like to see 
the magistrate judge, Ron, is one that is brings together the parents, the child, um, other community members. Um, um, we've heard, I, we had an early conversation with John Neptune about um, an uncle mentor type to bring into that program. Um, but we really, we really are in the early stages of trying to figure out what, how does that structure come together and what, what does it look like and what makes the most sense. So we're always looking for ideas of things that, that people think might work. We know braided services work, and that's a big part of it. Um, but how else to make sure that we reach uh, a, a juvenile? Right now, we utilize, we're, we're required by the Implementing Act to utilize the, the juvenile justice laws of the the uh, state, but we only do what's called informal adjudications. We rarely, in fact, I can't think of a time that we've ever done a formal adjudication. And it is, we're not going to send a child to, to a facility. That's a lot like Long Creek or anything like that. So um, the informal adjudication may require that the child, we've had some success early on. We had one juvenile where the sentence was, or the, the informal adjudication was that they would go pound ash uh, with an elder. And that worked out really well. Um, in fact, that it led to, I had a, I made that sentence and, and after we had done that, um, about a month later, the parents came to the court clerk and said, uh, and the clerk comes to me and says, judge, the parents of that child would like to come talk to you. And I'm thinking, okay. Um, and they came in and they said that it was the best experience in her life. And they were really appreciative for it and thought that it was a great resolution of the issue. Um, but we're always looking for means to involve young people in more culture and community because we know that's, that's a protective factor. Found in ash is not easy. They make it look really easy, but it's not. It's really hard. <laughs> you are listening to Dawnland Signals on WERU-FM. I am your co-host, Maria Gerard, along with co-host Esther Ann. Dawnland Signals is a monthly talk show where we hold space for critical conversations of truth, healing, and change. And today we're talking about Healing to Wellness Corp, a model for restorative justice with guests Rhonda DeConte, Magistrate Judge for Penobscot Nation Judicial System and Judge Eric Minard, Chief Judge. And um, they're both sharing their experiences around uh, developing this culturally aligned um, model for um, addressing drug offenses drug-related offenses. So um, what else would you like people to know about um, the Healing to Wellness Court model? We have about, I think, 15 minutes left. Um, and just anything that you, you think would be important for people to know, anything you want to share? Yeah, so I did an activity and um, I, I used a poster board and I in the middle of it, I, I put what healing to wellness court means to me and, and some of the responses I'll just read off to you. Um, a second chance, connections, support and understanding, consistency, I am worthy, working together, better, better community relations, community engagements and commitments. Um, 
I like to kind of, I don't see myself as, uh, people see me and they know me. I work at the court. I'm a part of Healing to Wellness. And if it's, they've already been through the program or what have you. And, um, you know, I'm always sprinkling that seed, you know, come see us, come back. Um, I know when we're at the community building, coffee was a really good thing, you know, come in, have coffee and, and they would and, you know, would meet with a case manager and kind of get um, started that way. But any chance I can, you know, this is a really um, amazing program. It is intense. It's long term, but healing is long term. That's lifelong. And um, the amount of support that one individual gets affects so much their children, their parents, their siblings, you know, just like what Esther was saying about the ripple effect. So if we can help one person, you know, we've done our job and we're not focused on, you know, the amounts and what have you, because we're a small community. We can also right now um, take folks that aren't from Penobscot. We can take anyone from a federally recognized tribe. And um, I just uh, hope that it this show reaches somebody that they have a family member that needs help. And we're here to do that. That is wonderful. And I was thinking um, back to your earliest comments when you were talking about first getting that job at the, the old tribal court and, and how, you know, nobody wanted to go there and it was dark and it was dreary and scary. And sounds like you really, that you really brought the light to uh, tribal court. So she will leave one Yeah, it's amazing when, um, because of the shutdown, how many people want to come back. And I just told my daughter that I was like, Jesus, there's a lot of people that can't wait for the court's doors to open. How often do you hear that? (laughs) Right. You know, and and I love the story of how it started. You know, why do we need these tables? (laughs) And, And just starting with one thing. And it's like a domino effect. And it's like, yeah, and then why, why can't we have this and this? I love that. Just start somewhere, right? Take one step, do one little thing. I'm writing that quote down. Why do we need these tables? That <laughs> and they probably, <laughs> they probably weren't round tables either, were they? They were probably no. square tables. <laughs> Dutch Maynard, anything that you wanted to share with us? Uh, what? What would be important for people listening to the the show to to take away from the conversation? I think one of the most powerful evenings um, I spent was uh, we we have community nights at the court where we invite uh, a speaker in uh, to talk to us and a um, and the community. And it was an, and we we require the participants to attend the community night and. This particular community night, the speaker was talking about what the the substances do to an individual and how it is an, an illness, and it is an illness, um, and it's not. A, and so, 
there were a number of elders that were were there and they were taking the position, look, you chose to start, you can choose to stop, just stop. And the the speaker, uh, Judith Josiah Martin from, from the University of Maine, uh, was going through what happens to an individual's brain and they she showed how the brain is functioning uh, for an individual who is suffering from, from substances. And what was fascinating to me was that, uh, and it would show up on the brain as bright yellow, what part of the brain would be functioning, and dark blue, the part that was not functioning at all. And she did this presentation and it showed, she showed that an individual's brain 10, 20, they did a CAT scan, 10, 20, out to 100 days past last use. And for that 100 days, the whole frontal lobe, the end idea that you're going to be able to make connections and, and uh, do executive functions was dark blue. It was not functioning. The only part of the brain that was functioning that was bright yellow was the pleasure center of the brain. And... Um, there were two things that came to me from that. One was um, what happened next, which was that that's when the conversation, there were the, one of the participants said, you know, you, you spoke earlier about uh, why don't we just stop? And he, he said, I would love to, I, I would love to just stop, but it doesn't work that way. It takes time. And the other thing that that taught me was that when we're in this program, it, it's constantly working with the individual, that it can't be, you must go find a job, you must go find housing, because that, their brain is not functioning that way yet. When we talk about the program, we talk about it in the early stages of the program, we, we set guardrails pretty narrow. And we say, if you bump up against that guardrail, there'll be a response. It's really a, a from psychology, it's a behavioralist approach. And it says there's a stimuli and there's a response, stimuli response. And that requires an outside authority. As an individual progresses through the program, um, the guardrails become very far apart. And it's we switch from a, a behavioralist to a cognitive approach saying, you've internalized these behaviors. You don't need an outside authority. You are the authority you get to make these decisions and we know that you'll make the right ones because you have, you have made those as you progress through this program. Um, so it's, and, it's brain science. Ahead. A lot of brain science goes into that. I mean, because um, that we know we have to grease those tracks, right. And train our brain. You can really train your brain to, and then once you, your uh, thoughts are changed, then, then your behaviors change. That's really, that's smart. Also, speaking of that event where Dr. Josiah Martin spoke, um, I, I attended that uh, community event. So one thing that I appreciate about the Healing to Wellness Court is that it also, um, it includes the, the community and, and we get to, um, to learn and, and, and sit with you folks and, um, you know, be supportive and and I, I remember that that um, event very well because there was a lot of things that I had learned at that time that were really eye-opening and I appreciated it so much. So just to say, I appreciate um, how you all invite uh, community in. 
and it's so it's so important to to really reduce that stigma that people have and that fear they have about talking about stuff substance use disorder. Yeah. You know, it's uh, there's a lot of fear and shame. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. We have just a few more minutes left, and I was just um, curious. Did you? Um, I'm, I guess I'm curious about what what does um, what does it look like? What? How many people do you generally have in in the program, and um, what do you know your usual meetings look like, and, and things like that? Yeah. So um, I think the highest we've had was probably around ten, um, but we're typically around four or five. So I would say between that and ten. And can I just mention a positive that came out from this COVID situation? Absolutely. Um, one of the requirements is that they attend uh, uh, AA or NA or some sort of supportive meeting. And um, during this time, you know, a lot of meetings were closed or they went on Zoom or what have you. And um, the beauty is that that ignited our case managers to start a weekly group meeting with the participants. They meet every week, same day, same time. And um, I've heard a lot of good uh, feedback from participants. Their topics are amazing. I love to hear what they're talking about and they look forward to doing it. And um, I even taught on one of them um, how to make fry bread. And um, what I did was I supplied all the ingredients and I, I made a pre chili and, and we distributed that to them, but we had a little group session. It was kind of fun. A few of them didn't even know how to make it. I mean, I'm not suggesting that's one of my better activities, but um, so I'd have to say that was a positive from this is establishing that one group meeting that they have weekly. And like I said, it goes back to culture of community. So I really want to commend our case managers for doing that. Brianna and Chris, that has been a great new addition and something that will still continue post, um, you know, uh, um, I don't want to say post COVID, but you know, once we get back and, and things are, that will still continue. Excellent. Thanks so much. Um, Esther, do you have any other questions? I'm, I'm looking at my list here and can seeing what I got here. Um, so no questions. It's really exciting. Um, to, to, to remember, I, I had never made it to one of the community events um, but I want to go when they come, when they're back, <laughs> you know, there's a lot, I talking about the pandemic, there are <clears throat> some bright spots and, and I, I really appreciate here, uh, living on Indian Island, the, the bags that we get, like some, some of them, um, I don't know. I don't even know where they all come from. I don't know if it's from the <laughs> clinic or from the court or social service, but we get these bags and they're really these, these mindfulness cards came in them and I love them. I use them all the time <laughs> and things like that. It's just been really nice to that, that connection that, that everybody's maybe reading the same book that came in their bag that, that week. Right. And so you have that connection. So a lot of creativity coming out of uh, the COVID situation. 
Absolutely. And I just want to say, you know, how much I, I appreciate the work that you do and just bringing, bringing your full self in, into it um, for, for our community. Um, before I get ready to um, close, is there any last words that you want to share with us? Rhonda or, or Judge Minard? Um, just, you know, if someone, you know, is struggling and, and needs extra support, please, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, we're, we're here to help everyone. Awesome. Thank you. Judge Maynard, any final words? <laughs> Sounds so final, final. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I think that one of the things that that um, I would add to that is that I, I have truly appreciated the, the learning that comes from for me of watching and, and the fact that participants allow me to be part of their journey. I one of the great I've heard a, a number of great sayings that, that come from participants. One individual told me. Uh, he was complaining. He said, I'd like to get out of this program. And I said, I, I can appreciate it. you've been in a long time. And he said, but you know, I walked 20 miles into the wilderness. I guess I'm going to have to walk 20 miles back out. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that insight. Another individual was facing some challenges and said, you know, um, I didn't come this far to get this far. Um, and I'll keep going. And And that kind of perseverance there are days I come in on Friday and, and we have wellness port every other Friday. Um, and I get a chance to, to listen to um, the grace and humor and perseverance that, that individuals face certain challenges with and walk out going, what a day, what a great yeah. day um, to be able to be part of that. Well, thank, thank you. you both so much um, for the work you do and for being with us here today. And also thank you to our listeners for joining us on Dawn Land Signals. Thanks to our volunteer technician, Jeffrey Hotchkiss. Uh, be sure to join us next month, April 21st and every third Thursday of the month for more Dawn Land Signals and more conversations of truth, healing and change. Stay tuned for more great programming here on WERU-FM. Up, 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 Up,